0: just want to begin my message with three words fantastic, outstanding, amazing. We can give thanks to amazing special effects movies and thrill rides and experiences and social media and uh, marketing media. We've come to expect that if life isn't sensational, then maybe something is wrong. If we expect that life isn't that, that way, and if we're not careful, we can kind of apply that attitude towards our spiritual journey and we can really kind of get in a place of difficulty. We can fail to see the hand of God and maybe some just ordinary experiences, and even worse, we might fail to recognize his loving care for us in the midst of some deep trials that we go through. Let's face it, life typically is not sensational. Usually life is ordinary, and sometimes it's even painful. But that's when we do the most learning and growing, especially in our relationship with Christ. And It's when we have the greatest opportunity, I believe, to encounter the risen Jesus, especially if we have eyes to see. The story that was just read out of Luke, I think it's a story that's worth repeating again and again. It's really at the heart of the gospel message. It highlights the living hope that we have in the risen Christ. The first day we think about of Easter, these couple of guys who were followers of Jesus, they didn't have that same living hope at that moment. In fact, they were pretty discouraged. They were pretty uh, disillusioned at that point. And I want to just invite us to put ourselves in their sandals uh, as they take that seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Have you ever noticed that some of the most or the saddest words in our English language begin with the letter D? Think about it: disappointment, discouragement, doubt, defeat, death. All these kinds of things. You know, I was thinking about that. I thought my wife's name begins with D, and I, th- I felt badly for her. <laughs> I told Doug earlier, boy, I really feel badly for you too, Doug, you know. <laughs> I mean, it must be depressing to have the letter D in the beginning of your name. But those folks are living up, you know, they're trying to raise the example there. But just thinking about those words. Uh, think about those two guys. They must have been experiencing all of those feelings as they're walking on the way to Emmaus. They had left some dispirited and some confused band of disciples in Jerusalem. They were thinking about the events of Good Friday, fresh in their memories, and we can sympathize with their bewilderment. Uh, They had revered, revered their master. They loved and followed him. And then they had watched him be put to a horrible death, a cruel death on the cross, the most degrading kind of death, Crucifixion was the most shameful of deaths in that day. The victim was often made a public spectacle, exposed to the jeers of the crowd that would walk by. Only a week earlier than that, that Jesus had come in on Palm Sunday with great cheers, uh, hoping that he would be the Messiah. They had been excited. They hailed him as their master, the long-awaited deliverer from the tyranny of Roman oppression. But now he laid dead, they believed, in a sealed tomb. Their hopes were dashed. Their dreams felt like they were over. The band of Jesus' followers, they were leaderless. They were falling apart. These two were leaving. They were on their way home with no hope anymore. The reports that they had heard about Christ's tomb being empty did nothing to alter their thinking. It just didn't fit in their paradigm to think that there was a possibility that Jesus had been raised from the dead. It only confused them. Their entire world had come apart in those few days. The two despondent disciples summed up their feelings just this way. They said, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. They didn't hope anymore. Human hope is a fragile thing. And when it withers, it's really difficult to revive. Hopelessness as a disease of the human spirit is desperately hard to cure. When you see somebody who you love and you care for and they're overtaken by some very hard illness that goes on and on and, and despair begins to set in for them and, and maybe even for you. And it, it almost becomes impossible to hope for recovery, to even be able to afraid to hope because of not being able to cope with another disappointment. You know, this week in Salina, we, we got really tragic news about the death of Ali Song, Just tragic experience. Uh, she was killed by what appears to be a random act of violence a mistaken identity. She was in the wrong-looking vehicle at the wrong time at the wrong place. None of it seems to be her fault. What do we make of this tragedy? Certainly her family and her friends are struggling with despair. This was not what they had hoped for or expected for Allie's life. Where was God in all of this? What purpose could he have from this random act of violence? In these type of situations, I only offer... Two responses, and I don't really find either one of them to be fully satisfying. But first of all, I think that tragedies like this remind me that evil is still very present in the world today. The reality is that we have two kingdoms at war in conflict with one another in this world. The first kingdom is the one that's ruled by the enemy of God, who's made it clear that his purpose is to come and to kill and to steal and to destroy everything that God has created for good. And we also have the reality of the kingdom of God that's been initiated and and it is present, but it's not fully here yet. It's the kingdom that was initiated by God's son through his life and his death and his resurrection. And then Jesus gives the church the mission. He's given us the mission to bring this kingdom even further, to go and make disciples of everyone. And yet the reality is not everyone is a follower of Christ. Our job is not done yet. Sin still abounds. And thankfully, Grace abounds even more. Where is God in all this despair? Well, my second response is that God was in the truck with Allie the night that she was killed. He's with her family today. He's with her friends. He is present to them. He is heartbroken, just like everyone else is. And God understands what it is like to be heartbroken. He understands what it's like to be a parent who watches a child die an innocent and a cruel and an unseemingly unbelievable death. He knows that experience. He can be present with us to comfort us and to console us. His son dying dying a very brutal death on the cross, not because of anything that he had done wrong. Rather, he was falsely accused of trumped-up charges. He died on the cross unfairly, but graciously bearing the weight of the world's sins, our sins, my sins, your sins, even the sins of those men that are involved with Ali's death. Jesus has died for all of our sins. So sin has entered in, and yet grace has been offered to all by the sacrifice of Christ. Grace that is freely given to all of us, and yet so costly to God and to His Son, Jesus. Our prayer in this situation is, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come and restore our broken world, our world at times filled with despair. Certainly these two men, as they were on the way to Emmaus, they understood Despair. They had built a wall of hopelessness as a result of the last few days of their experience. They were trapped in their despair. Again, they said, we had hoped, but they don't hope anymore. What they were saying is, we don't expect it now. Once we did, we had it. We had this thing called hope, but now it's gone. I wonder if this is something that we can identify with ourselves. Has something or someone come between you and your relationship with God at some point in your journey? If so, I just invite you to listen to the story of the journey to Emmaus because the heartbreaking experience is only the beginning. It's not the whole story. So as these travelers are making their way to Emmaus, we're told a stranger falls in among them. It was going to be one of the most wonderful walks in history. We know, of course, that this person is the risen Jesus, but somehow they didn't recognize him. In fact, Luke tells us that they were kept from recognizing him. It wasn't an accident that they didn't notice who he is or they were too preoccupied to be able to look him in the eyes and tell who he was. No, they weren't allowed to recognize Jesus for a reason. Maybe it was so that they might be in the same position as we are ourselves some 2,000 years later. Visual appearances of Jesus tended to cease once he ascended to be with his father. They generally don't happen very frequently with us today. And like the two on the road, we have to depend on other people's testimonies that Jesus has risen from the dead. Like them, we we sometimes don't quite know what to do with it. Did it really happen? What precisely happened? Could it have happened? The stranger asked them on the way, he said, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And so they poured out their sad story to someone who seemed so willing to listen to them. How wonderfully kind and compassionate Is our Lord. He could have well berated them for their lack of faith in him, hadn't he told them just a few weeks earlier that unless a seed dies and it abides alone, but if it dies and it will bear much fruit. But no, Jesus doesn't berate them, but rather, as someone who put it in moving words, in his infinite courtesy, Jesus remembered the frailty of overstrained nerves and bewildered minds and came not too suddenly. Or overwhelmingly upon them, but in a way that He alone could do, revealed Himself as Jesus Christ, the risen Christ. The way that Jesus deals with the situation, I think, is really a great lesson to us uh, who are in a position to help people who have lost hope. You see, people who have lost hope, they need companions. They need companionship. They need people to join them in their walk of bewilderment and their walk in despair. They need a listening ear before they're going to be ready for any kind of advice. The last thing they need is a pep talk or uh, being told to snap out of it. Instead, we're, we should be encouraged to be present with them, as Christ was with these two on the road. Love them by listening to them, by accepting what it is that they feel. There'll be time later on to point them to hope and to the one that brings hope, but let first things be first. Just be a present, loving, listening Person in their life. Their spokesman, these two, Cleopas uh, expressed surprise that being asked what was worrying them. He said, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here these last few days? There seems to be a, nose, a note of surprise in his voice, but Jesus continues patiently. He just very askly, simply asked them a question. What things? Tell me. What's bothering you? What's concerning you? And they said, about Jesus of Nazareth. These two guys, they begin to tell the story, best they know, about who Jesus is or was and what they understood about him. And they were correct in their theology as far as it went. They told the stranger that this Jesus was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. He was. Notice their use of language. He was. They didn't have hope that he would be present with them today or moving forward. He wasn't relevant to the present, or otherwise they wouldn't have been in their present downcast circumstances. Their experience of Jesus was in the past, and they thought they were alone. The cross had taken him from them, and their minds hadn't made sense of this changed situation. They hadn't adjusted to what had really happened. The cross was just a great negative to them at this point. Now, we've all heard exciting testimonies about what Jesus has done in the past, but what about the present? The past is history. The questions must be Is Jesus a present, bright reality to us today? To you and to me. Do we always recognize him beside us in any in every circumstance or situation? Life has many different distractions. There's hard work, there's difficulty, there's routine. Sometimes we feel tired, things like ill health or other uh, difficulties happen in our life. They, all these things can kind of just grind us down over time and we become uh, someone who lives life almost mechanically never lifting our eyes from our pathway, our journey to be able to discover who is God and where is he at in our circumstances. And in that kind of situation, life loses meaning and we feel washed out. But this story is a story that can give us hope. Jesus is still there. He is the unseen stranger walking with us in all of our difficulty, and all of our circumstances, listening to us. And if we're willing to hear his voice, he's revealing himself to us. And as the two disciples speak uh, of the cross, he took hold of their bewilderment and sorrow, and he gave them a heartening experience. You know what he did? He pointed them to the self-revelation of God in the scriptures. He pointed them to God's word. Luke tells us, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. It's amazing. He basically took them to the Old Testament and began to unpack the Old Testament for them in a way that they could begin to understand how God was at work in this situation, what God was doing uh, through the work of bringing the Messiah and allowing the Messiah to suffer. Jesus must have given these Emmaus travelers the most amazing exposition. On the Old Testament that the world has ever known. And yet he gave it to a congregation of two. Wouldn't it have been great to be there? To be able to hear how he unpacked the scriptures. To be able to reveal what God was doing. And so for them he began to take this jigsaw puzzle of all the types and the shadows and the symbols of the Old Testament revelation. And he began to bring them together so they could see a clear picture of what God was doing. He would have reminded them that very back in the beginning, the fall of humanity, the apparent victorious Satan in the form of the serpent was told that the seed, the offspring of the woman, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And what a wonderful anticipation of Jesus at the cross. And he probably would have foretold of the story of the cosmic struggle between death and life, of the pattern of death and resurrection in the Old Testament Revelation. It's clearly visible as you look at it. It's visible in the life of Abraham, who's willing to sacrifice his dear and only son only to be able to get him back. It's, it's in the story of Joseph, as, as we think about how his brothers turned on him and they sold him into slavery, and then he ends up in prison uh, uh, again on false charges. Where have we heard that story before? And yet all of it he's preserved so that he might become the benefactor of his brothers who tried to destroy him. The exodus of the Israelites from Egypt after being saved from the angel of death through the sign of the blood of the Passover lamb. Surely Jesus would have taken them to the book of Isaiah and he would have discussed the Jehovah passages about the suffering servant. He would have recounted the the nation of Israel and how they had to go into exodus, into exile, and then brought back again to rebuild Jerusalem. How it all was a symbol of the great redemption that God would bring through the personal personal relationship with the risen Messiah. Here was proof that Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies over all the centuries that these Old Testament anticipations of his passion and the triumph of life over death proved that he indeed was the Messiah. The two disciples couldn't have expected that sharing their problem with a stranger on the Emmaus Road would actually lead to some solutions. But there was more to that than what we see. Christ was there beside them. He was there more than just simply to offer them some solutions. He was in the problem itself. Jesus told his two listeners, did not Christ have to suffer these things? The problem is, is how, the, how were the disciples going to make sense of the cross? How to accept it? And Jesus helped them to do that. He showed them that the cross itself was the creative act of God. It was all a part of God's purpose. The Apostle Paul would write later that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. The cross of shame and suffering had become the cross of redemption for all who would come to Jesus in repentance and faith. Now think about it. When Jesus comes into our life, when he intrudes our life, and he probes our thoughts and our feelings, especially when we're in a place of disappointment or confusion or even despair, he comes in and he joins with us for the purpose of blessing us. But how do we respond? Do we like, are we like the disciples from Emmaus who invite him to go on the journey with us, who welcome his initiative and welcome him to minister to us? Do we want him to keep talking and keep sharing and keep explaining what previously had baffled us? Or are we going to let him continue on his own journey separate from ourselves? Sometimes the things that he reveals are uncomfortable as he encroaches on our, on our deeper things, the private areas of our lives. Cleopas and his companion, they even accepted a gentle rebuke that Jesus made. He said, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I think the key word in that is all. It wasn't that they hadn't read the prophets of old. It was just that they maybe had concentrated in the scriptures that had talked about the triumphant Messiah. The one who was going to come and bring victory and conquer all the oppressors. But yet the passages that spoke of a suffering servant didn't fit in with the expectation they had of the Messiah. And they tended to skip over those passages. When they'd been given the whole exposition of the scriptures, they reacted positively. In fact, they wanted to learn even more from him. And think about this. This two-hour journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus, it probably felt like only five minutes as they were excited to hear how Jesus was unpacking the scriptures for them. They were so absorbed in the conversation with Jesus, they still hadn't recognized who he was. And so Luke informs us that as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going to go on further. You see, I think Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on us. Uh, he's not going to move into our lives if we really don't want him to go there. He waited for their invitation to come in. God gave to the world, I think, maybe the greatest, but maybe also the most dangerous gift. He gave us free will. We freely have the opportunity to invite Jesus into our hearts, into our lives, but we also freely have the opportunity to say, no, thank you. Jesus, we'll just let you keep going. We're not going to invite you in. I hear about that. I think about the vision of the book of Revelation where we find his words. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. There's a famous picture that's painted about that very scripture passage. It has a picture of Jesus knocking on a door, and there's no handle on the outside of the door. And I believe there is a handle, I think it's only on the inside of the door. But this is very much the situation in the Maia story. We're told that Jesus acted as if he was going to go further. It was a test to see if the disciples had more appetite for the things of God. Were they hungry to know and to learn more? They did, and we're told in the Scripture passage, they urged Jesus strongly, stay with us. That's the sort of invitation that Jesus can't resist. He went in to stay with them. Stay with us. And so when he went in, there was a basic meal that was quickly put together. There was bread on the table. And it was the moment for Jesus to reveal himself to these two disciples. And so how does he do it? We're told that simply he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. And many people believe that as they study that passage, they hadn't been able to recognize him until this point. But as he gave them the bread, that maybe they were able to finally see the wounds on his hands from the crucifixion. And they were able to recognize that this was Jesus, the one in whom they had placed their hopes in. And in the moment where they recognized him, we're told that he vanishes, he disappears. Why did he have to go away? Why did he have to disappear? Why, why couldn't he have stayed longer? He could, but he didn't. I think it's all part of the education that he was taking the disciples through the last 40 days that he was on earth. And that was how to manage without his bodily presence from now on. Exactly the thing that we have the opportunity to work with today, some 2,000 years later, But he is with us. He is with us because God gave the gift of the Holy Spirit to his followers. And so we have the presence of Christ as we trust in him. God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's also with us, we're told, as we fellowship with him in worship and in obedience to his commands and as we remember him in the breaking of bread in communion. I can imagine Cleopas and his friends standing in amazement and enjoy what they had just witnessed and what they had just experienced. And they're asking each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked to us on the road and he opened up the scriptures for us? Their world had come together again. Their despair had been lifted because the risen and the present Christ changed everything in their lives. And the risen and present Christ changes everything in our lives too, if we're willing to allow him in. Just because Christ is risen doesn't mean we won't experience trials, difficulties, doubts, discouragement. But we can be encouraged that Christ is our constant companion through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And and we can seek God through His Scripture, and we're told that God will reveal Himself to us. Not only that, but He'll reveal deep and practical truths that will impact us and, and assist us in our journey of following Him and living our lives. And then finally, we, we need to be reminded that God desires to stay with us, especially in our times of despair, if we turn to Him with our questions, with our disillusionments, with our disappointments, doubts, and fears. God deeply longs for us to walk with Him in close fellowship so that He can fulfill His plans for our lives. The Emmaus, too, certainly had no doubt that they had walked this road many, many times in their life before. But this day was a day like no other, because this was the day that they began to to discover or was revealed to them the risen and present Savior. And certainly he can draw near to us at any time as well. And the ways of God aren't so obvious, especially if we're going through a time of discouragement. But we must be uh, be open to allow him to continue to enlighten our understanding, to take us to new levels of knowing him, and trusting and believing in Him, even through those trials and those disappointments. Life will never be the same again when we encounter the risen Lord in those really, really tough times. You see, Christ is risen from the dead. Christ is the Savior. Christ is the hope of the world. And the two disciples were told they lost no time once they realized this, and they go back to Jerusalem to tell their friends. I mean, think about that journey and how long it would have taken them from Jerusalem to Emmaus And I think that would have taken so much less time when they were coming back with exciting news that Jesus has been raised from the dead, that Jesus is present, that everything has changed. Certainly their circumstances hadn't completely changed. And in fact, we're told that throughout the next many years, the church would struggle and there would be many difficulties that they would experience. But they had faith. They had hope because they knew that Christ was risen and that Christ had changed everything. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this story about tells us about how you came to these two disciples who were struggling with discouragement. They were just in despair because of what they had experienced and what they believed. They doubted. They lost their hope. And yet you just came along and you became their companion. And you unpacked scripture and you showed them what, you, what God was up to. And in the midst of all of that, you revealed yourself to them so that they could know that you are alive, that you have been raised from the dead. God, we pray that you would come into our lives today, that you would continue to be our companion, that you would help us to see you and find you in in your living word. And God, that that we would continue to invite you to, to walk along this journey with us. God, help us to seek you in every place of our life. We pray this in your name. Amen.